Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Sad news to start our day. Senator Elizabeth Warren's brother died of coronavirus last night. Her older brother, she says, I'm grateful to the nurses and other frontline staff who took care of my brother, but it's hard to know that there was no family to hold his hand or to say, I love you one more time. And now there's no funeral for those of us who loved him to hold each other close. I will miss my brother. Uh, She said that he was charming and funny, a natural leader. He had a quick and crooked smile that lit up everyone around him. He was a 20-year veteran of the U.S. Air Force. His name was Donald Reed Herring, H-E-R-R-I-N-G. So RIP and our thoughts are with Senator Warren. Meanwhile, our idiot child, that's kind of a slur, isn't it? I, you know, there's got to be a better phrase, a better way to describe Donald Trump. But even children know that you don't drink bleach and that you shouldn't inject it into your body. I mean, it's just even children know this. And ask any physician about UV light. UV light, it's what causes your skin to tan, and it's also what causes melanoma, causes cancer, skin cancer, because it disrupts the DNA in the skin, particularly in high levels. There's some just incredible hashtags here. Donald Trump, in fact, I tweeted out a video of Dr. Burks just dying as Trump is talking about injecting bleach or disinfectant. The company that makes Lysol, which is a British company, came out with an official announcement today. Please do not drink or inject Lysol. Do not. You will die. We have this. He's not even insane. He's just incredibly stupid. And now we've hit 50,000 deaths. The Vietnam War, 58,000 people died from 1955 to 1975, a 20-year period. And we're going to hit that by Monday, in all probability. And it's just, this is just mind-boggling. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Breaking over at uh, theguardian.com. The headline, leader of group peddling bleach as coronavirus cure, uh, contacted Trump this week. His name is Mark Grennan. 
And he told Trump in a letter that chlorine dioxide, that's a powerful bleach used in industrial processes. Uh, this is from Ed Pilkington's piece in The Guardian. They use it for textile manufacturing and things like that. Quote, is a wonderful detox that can kill 99% of the pathogens in the body. It can rid the body of COVID-19. Grennan Pilkington writes, styles himself as Archbishop of Genesis 2, a Florida-based outfit that claims to be a church. That would be to avoid taxes, right? But which, in fact, is the largest producer and distributor of chlorine dioxide bleach as a miracle cure in the U.S. He brands the chemical as MMS, Miracle Mineral Solution, and claims fraudulently that it can cure 99% of all illnesses, including cancer, malaria, HIV, AIDS, and autism. Since the start of the pandemic, Ed Pilkington writes over at The Guardian, Genesis 2 has been marketing MMS as a cure to coronavirus. It advises users, including children, to mix three to six drops of bleach in water and drink it. In his weekly televised radio show, Grennan read out the letter that he wrote to Trump, He said, it began, Dear Mr. President, I'm praying you read this letter and intervene. He said many of his supporters have also written to Trump in in the last few days, asking him to take action to protect Genesis 2 in its bleach peddling activities. When Trump said what he said yesterday on TV, Grennan goes to Facebook, and on his Facebook page he says, Trump has got the MMS and all the info. Things are happening, folks. Lord, help others to see the truth. This is nuts. Have you ever known a bully? Really known a bully, you know, an abuser, somebody who is violent towards other people. One of the things that I have noticed in my life, and I knew a few bullies when I was a child, and I've known a few, um, I haven't had personal, much personal contact with bullies since I became an adult in my personal life, but I've met quite a few of them in the business world. One of the things that bullies do is they will make an assertion that implies violence or threat. And then when you object, you say, wait a minute, you're threatening me? No, no, I'm just kidding. I was just being sarcastic. This is what bullies do. This is what abusers do. And I think all of us instinctively, intuitively, you know, from our own personal experience, we know that. So when Trump was confronted this morning about what he said yesterday, today, Genesis 2, the, the guy who, uh, in one of his first shows, first reported by the Daily Beast, Sisson held up two bottles of Genesis 2 MSS and said, gonna meet Trump. It's only a matter of time. President Trump's gonna invite us there when he finds out about this stuff. So anyhow, today, when they asked Trump, you know, uh, really, inject bleach? Trump says, I was just being sarcastic. Right. That's what bullies do, isn't it? Incredible. Meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump has also said, this is from the Washington Post today, that he will not be approving any loans for the post office if they don't quadruple their price for packages. Both FedEx and UPS have large lobbying arms. UPS is unionized. FedEx is not. And... FedEx is taking a beating from the post office, as is UPS. Well, not a beating, but, you know, the post office is a solid competitor. And they would love it if the post office had to raise their rates. Because the post office then would go out of business even faster. 
So this is what Donald Trump told reporters this morning, and I quote, the post office is a joke. The post office should raise the price of package delivery four times. Amazing. Trump recently signed a law, this is in the Washington Post, that allowed the cash-strapped U.S. Postal Service to borrow $10 million from the Treasury Department. The Post has reported that the White House wants to force changes at USPS, the U.S. Postal Service, as part of the terms of the loan. Trump confirmed this morning that one of those new conditions is the requirement that the Postal Service raises prices. He said, and I quote, If they don't raise the price, I'm not signing anything. Because Mnuchin said he's ready to approve the loan, it just needs Trump's signature. Incredible. The largest unionized workforce in America. Think that has anything to do with it? Mark Dimonstein is with us. He's the president of the American Postal Workers Union, APWU. APWU.org is the website. And you can tweet him at APWU National. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. Always good to talk to you and greetings to all of your listeners. Thank you. And we're seeing that on the one hand, you've got Democrats all across the country who are pushing for vote by mail this November. And Ron Wyden and Earl Blumenau are putting together legislation to, to do that and to fund the states so that they can do it. But on the other hand, we're also seeing reports that mail volume is down. This $5 billion a year set aside for 75 years for the health benefits of postal workers who have not yet been born that the Bush administration put into effect and Congress put into effect back in 2005 in order to prevent the post office from rolling out a fleet of non-gasoline powered vehicles is still there as far as I know and is hurting the post office. And they're saying that the post office is going to run out of money in June. What's the situation with all that? It's a dire situation, but it really leave aside for the moment what happened in 2005 and 2006 some of the challenges that the post office has faced that was a manufactured crisis and there are challenges in changing mail habits and so on and so forth but what's happening now is actually different and distinct from that what's happening now is here we are on this terrible and tragic pandemic and i know the public greatly appreciates the frontline workers and postal workers out there in the front lines working under very difficult conditions, getting medicines into people's homes, social security checks into people's homes, incentive checks, all sorts of information. So all that's going on. But what the pandemic has done, the COVID pandemic itself, has caused an economic crisis within the post office. So kind of ironic that the post office and the postal workers are showing how valuable they are, not just in ordinary times, but in times of crisis. And it's that very pandemic that is putting the post office into a crisis. So here's what's happening quickly. The non-taxpayer-based entity, no taxpayer dollars go into the operations of the post office. It runs on the revenue of postage and postal products. And based on this pandemic and the economic crisis, mail volume has precipitously declined and revenue is likely going to be cut in half in a very short period of time. No restaurants mailing coupons. No retail stores are saying, come into our stores. Airlines aren't sending their mail out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even a grandparent like myself, if I want to send a birthday card to the grandkid, can't get to the store to buy the birthday card and mail it. 
So what's happening is the post office literally has this wonderful obligation by law, and we believe it and want to keep it, universal service to every address, no matter who we are, where we live. But there has to be revenue coming in to do that. And if revenue gets cut in half, then the post office is literally going to run out of money short of relief. And to this point in time, Congress has not made this enough of an urgent issue for the people of this country to make sure that these incentive packages have included relief to the post office so it can continue to serve the American people in a way that's so vital to all of us. It seems to me that this has become partisan, that the Republicans are aggressively opposed to essentially bailing out or supporting or keeping the post office going, and Democrats are pushing really, really hard for this. Why would this be partisan? I don't get it. Or is it not? It's an interesting question. You're partially right. I think there's a lot of bipartisan support in Congress for the Postal Service. Mm. For instance, in the huge incentive package of the $2.2 trillion, the House side had $25 billion. We don't call it a bailout. We call it relief for the people of the country. This is strictly COVID-related. But the Senate side, which is Republican control, also had some sizable relief money. So that's why I say I think it's bipartisan. The Postal Board of Governors that sets policy, the five members, there's two Democrats, three Republicans, so it's majority Republican. They have put forth a robust bipartisan request for real relief. The problem was directly from this administration and Secretary Treasurer Mnuchin. So what Mnuchin told both sides of Congress, both the Democratic side and the Republican side, you're not going to have an incentive package at all of $2.2 trillion if the post office is in it. And nobody was <laughs> strong enough to say, guess what, Secretary Treasurer Mnuchin, we're going to flip the script on you, and you're not going to have any incentive package unless the post office is in it. That incentive package had $500 billion for the private sector. A company like Boeing that's in trouble because they bypassed all sorts of safety rules and regs and had, unfortunately, planes dropping out of the sky, they're getting money. But the public post office, to enable us to continue to go to 160 million addresses every day and bind the country together, which is the postal mission, the post office was left out. So what we need, and so, now, sir- again, in this new incentive package, the post office not there. So our friends on both sides of the aisle we believe just have to be that much stronger and say, look, this has to be addressed. It's COVID-related. The private sector's getting bailouts. The public postal service needs the genuine relief for the people of this country. Steve Mnuchin was referred to as the foreclosure king back during the crisis around 2008 in California. He threw thousands of people out of their homes. Kamala Harris sadly chose not to prosecute him. I I really wish she had. That's pretty much the big thing on his resume is that he was a bankster. What possible animus could he have against the post office? Why is he taking this position? Uh, Excellent question, Tom. They have an agenda. Your listeners don't have to believe Mark Demonstein. They put it in writing. The Office of Management Budget, which is the White House, June 2018, put in writing that they believe this is their time. They call it, a quotes, an opportunity. Break up the post office from the public side, turn it over to the private side, sell it off to corporations, enrich a few companies at the expense of the people. We all know, your listeners know, there's no way a private company will deliver mail, packages, all of the VA medicines and everything else that the post office does day in and day out, unless they can make a quick dollar. 
and they can't go in everywhere in this country. So mail service would, would uh, disappear. That's their agenda, to enrich a few corporations. They are Wall Street buddies. Mnuchin himself then headed up a presidential postal task force, which made egregious recommendations, which we think is the path to privatization, to reduce service, raise prices. We don't want prices raised. The private package companies want prices raised as the post office is the low-cost anchor. But reasonable prices help everybody in this country, help small business in this country, helps e-commerce in this country. Mnuchin's task force had higher prices, less service, and less workers' rights. That's their agenda, and it's shameful that they're using this crisis to carry out a political agenda rather than make this the nonpartisan issue that it should be. And, Tom, the people of this country love the post office, support the post office, support postal workers. They can go to ATW.org, write their congressman, call their congressman, sign petition. We're going to make sure that these banksters, as you rightfully call them, this do not steal from the, the people. This is the Tom Hartman program. program. Mark Dimenstein, the website APWU.org. Check it out. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tom. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's on your mind today? My pleasure. Just three suggestions how people could honor the Earth and Earth Day on the 50th anniversary. And the first that came to mind was to honor the first known public servant to be killed by global warming. That was Peggy Frank, a letter carrier in the San Fernando Valley. Pardon, I lack internet. I think it was last summer, perhaps two years back. But she was killed by a heat wave. I think the coroner estimated the internal temperature of her van was something like 120 degrees. And I think we should be renaming a post office, at least after her. Suggested this to a couple of congressmen in that area and the Postal Workers Union and an environmental group and got absolutely no response from anyone. So anyone wants to jump onto that, feel free. The second thing we should probably do is to stop lying to ourselves about how clever we are as human beings. The way we're behaving looks precisely the way a bunch of bacteria look in microbiology lab when they are put in a growth medium in a Petri dish. They uh, are nice and stable for a while, then they go into logarithmic growth, and then they're stable, and then they go into a death phase. Well, I don't think we've shown any sign that we're doing any better than the bacteria. So until we do, I think we should have the international naming groups that name species change our name from the Latin equivalent of man, the really, really clever, to man, the liar. And I've also Homo written one stupidus? of those groups. Uh, well, it'd be la- Latin primendax or something mendacious type word. And the third uh, thing is that as long as people are unable to just spout utter rubbish without contradiction, they're going to continue to do it. And this is inspired by retired nurse uh, Sheila, who called yesterday about getting these uh, anti-public health protesters to sign a DNR. My suggestion, Mm -hmm. twist on that, is to have them sign a DNI, which is a do not incubate, and next time they have a, one of these programs, one of these uh, demos, show up with a big sign that says, prove you're not a phony, sign a DNI, and then have it then sign in with their name, their address, and their year of birth, and take all these names and addresses and years of birth, put them on the Internet so that when there's a shortage of available medical help and there are not enough ventilators to go around, 
they're the first ones that express the wish. They do not wish to be intubated. And they can just well, suck intubation. Along. The, the DNRs do not resuscitate. That basically means do not intubate. No mechanical actions. No, they're two separate oh, documents. Really, they tend to get lumped together. Yeah, but right. a lot of people don't code, but they are intubated. For anyone from their very obtunded, and we have to protect their airway from you know. Code means you're you're about to die, but they get intubated anyway. Is a DNI okay? New one in my vocabulary. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thank you for your callers about the post office, seeing as I'm a soon-to-be retired postal employee. Good on you. Yes, buy stamps. Buy stamps. Call your congressmen. Call your senators. And tell them, no, don't you dare touch our post office. That's the only thing in this government that's working. You know? Yeah, and that number, by the way, is 202-224-3121 to reach your member of Congress. And they're not in their offices right now, but their offices are open, and they, many of them anyway, don't, you know, have somebody answering the phone. And if not, if, even if it's just an answering machine, you can leave a message. Back to you, Linda. We're going to see all these bailouts, the cruise industry. You know, we're going to see the airline industry. You know, next thing you know, the oil industry. But the thing that bothers me is I see the insurance company industry saying we need a bailout because we're not or surprise billing. We're not going to cover COVID-19 because we didn't plan for that. And either they're going to go bankrupt or you're going to see surprise billing all over this country. One way or the other, they're going to get us because that's how they're losing money right now. They are losing money and they don't like that. Yeah. Right. And this is is why they're talking about 40 percent increase in premiums next year. Exactly. That's what they're going to do. They're going to slip it to you like they did with me with my surprise billing I called you about last summer. And I had won, mm-hmm. thanks to my wonderful congressman and my union. But I see this going to be, you know what, people got to wake up because if we don't get health care this time around, we're never going mm-hmm. to get Medicare for all. We're just not going to, there's yeah. just no possible way we're going to get it. Thanks and be safe. It's, it's a good one, Linda. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Carol in Morning View, Kentucky. Hey, Carol, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind today? The post office. I think this is a continuation of Reagan and the air traffic controllers, as well as yep. people wanting to get the 75-year fund that's sitting there. That money could be distributed to oligarchs or some dumb thing. It would break the union's in such a way that we won't have communication, physical communication. This is horrible. But I also think it's being done to shut down your voting by mail. Our vote is important. And I don't know how many states. I know your state. I know Colorado, Washington, California now will depend on it. If they shut down all those states, Hawaii, what are we going to do? And my thought. I still work. I'm 72 years old and I go into Kroger every day and do cashier work. I have a woman who comes in regularly who's from the local post office and I asked her and I've been venting with her for weeks about the post office. But yesterday I asked her, what if we overpay postage? What if like I have to send a package today? What if I go in and it's $5.40 and I give them $12 but I don't take higher you know, um, a higher rate, does that go to their profit? She said, yes. So I'm thinking, 
could we set up something as people to show how much we care about this service? When I was ranting about the post office and how these guys are trying to destroy it and why, it's also the largest mm -hmm. unionized employer in the United States. That's yes. a large part of yes. why they want to destroy it. I thought about suggesting that people can go to USPS.gov, United States Postal Service, USPS.gov, and you can buy stamps. And you don't have to use those stamps. And if you don't use the stamps, that's pure okay. profit for the post office. It's one of the reasons why over the years the post office has encouraged stamp collecting, because it's pure profit if you don't actually use those stamps. Okay. And so, you know, if you wanted to buy $12 worth of stamps and put five bucks worth on a package and put the other seven bucks worth in your back pocket, that would be $7 of profit to the post office. And you'd have stamps that you could use in the future when the crisis is over and we've got a rational Democrat in the White House. So, yeah, over the short term, though, we, we don't have a rational Democrat in the White House. Barack Obama, by the way, just came out and endorsed Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders endorsed Joe Biden. And Joe Biden said, Bernie, help me govern. I mean, this is this is turning into something good on our side. But right now, you've got a Republican-controlled Senate with Mitch McConnell who wants to privatize the post office. He's dancing to the tune of FedEx. And I'm, I'm not sure about UPS. They're unionized. So it'll probably be FedEx and the right-wing billionaires. And you've got, you know, Donald Trump in the White House who hates the post office and who, hadn't had, who has just come right out and said, if we have vote by mail, then Democrats are going to win. Carol, thank you. That's an excellent question. And your point is really well taken. Rich, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, what's up? Hi, Tom. Well, I remember watching the Ed Shield show, God rest his soul. He showed that the Constitution says the government will have a post office. And I think it was in the Fourth Amendment. He actually showed the Constitution. And in Article he, 1, and Section 8, it authorizes Congress to appropriate money to create a post office and to pay for what are referred to in Article 1, Section 8 as postal roads. And, uh, oh, okay. But it doesn't say that Congress shall. It says Congress may. Oh, okay. And it's very unfortunate that it doesn't say Congress shall because, you know, I don't think the founders ever imagined the day would come when an idiot wannabe king would be running the United States and, and, and would be planning to blow up the post office. It's just mind boggling. Thanks for the call. Tamara in Pacifica, California. Hey, Tamara, what's up? The Americans are panicked. I can hear the panic in his voice. Just tell me if I'm right about this. When I'm in line sometimes, people are complaining about the length of time they're waiting. I say... The post office is the only company that has to fully fund their pension system each year. No other company is required to do that, and they would be out of business if they did. And so it can't make money. There's just no way it can make money. Well, it's not just money. that they have to fully fund their pension system. They have to set aside $5 billion every year and put it in a fund with the big New York banks that will be used to pay for the health benefits of retired postal workers starting 75 years from 2006 when the law was passed. So they have to, Unbelievable. And, and they did this. Yeah, the Republicans in the Congress and the Bush administration did this because the post office had been showing a surplus for about a decade, a substantial surplus. And they were intending to use that surplus, which was two, three billion dollars a year. They were intending to use that surplus to upgrade the fleet of vehicles. The post office is not only the largest unionized employer in the United States, they're also the largest vehicle fleet owner. In 2006, they owned the single largest fleet of vehicles in the United States. And in the summer of 2006, the post office had this whole big dog and pony show in Washington, D.C., where they rolled out a fuel cell vehicle, the, the kind of vehicle that goes from door to door and delivers mail, you know, those little square boxy things. Right. 
It was powered by a hydrogen fuel cell, and then they had a 10-ton truck that was powered by electricity. And they said, we're going to be rolling these out all across the United States. The the first demonstration was going to be the city of San Diego. They were going to do the whole city of San Diego, and then they were going to spread it all across the country. And uh, they, they announced this. And within a month or three, within a relative short, relatively short period of time, I, I don't know the exact period of time, but within a relatively short period of time, the Republicans had come up with legislation saying, you have to set aside $5 billion a year for your retirees 75 years from now, your retirees who are not yep. yet born. No other organization in the United yep. States or in the world, to the best of my knowledge, has to do something like that. So, yeah, Janelle, you are spot on. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much All for right. the call. Good talking to you. Jim in Chicago. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind? Hey, morning, Tom. Uh, I just real quick, I know you're coming up close to the break. Um, I just wanted to ask if you are aware or if it's been brought up. It's been a lot of years, obviously, since the uh, poison pill was slipped in, in the lame duck session back in 2006 for the post office. My question is, when the Democrats had that little window, you know, the supermajority 60-some-odd days? The 74 days, was, yeah. was there no way they could have repealed it, rammed something through that would have gave the post office, you know, a, a reprieve for so many years until the Republicans got back in power and might have helped save them some money over like a five, six-year window there? Is there a reason it didn't yeah, get It would have been a good thing, Jim. I, I, there were a lot of I, yeah, I never hear that priorities at that time. I mean... Card check was something that should have been done during that, too. Going back and saying, you know, during that little window that Obama had and the Democrats had when they had a filibuster-proof Senate, could they have done this or that? I think we need to look forward to where this is going. We need to be pushing for this. Jim, thank you. Anyhow, Richard in Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind? I just want to talk to you about the uh, post office. I've heard, you know, different things for the last few days. And then a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning talk show, they were talking about, a guy was talking about a lot of companies, how they downsized to help with expenses and stuff. And said, the post office is one place that has never done that. And so I kept thinking, I said, you got to have your carriers, your clerks, your mail handlers, machinists, custodians. But there's so many supervisors. There's just uh, a guy here 20 years ago wrote in the deal said that one out of every nine to ten people that work at the post office is in some type of supervision. Yeah, Richard, this is the same kind of BS that just absolutely sickens me when I hear it from Republicans, and I'm sad to hear it from you. The Republicans, for years and years and years, I mean, this is their union-busting strategy that goes back to the 1960s, really the 1950s, which is, uh, oh, those people who are working over at fill-in-the-blank, unionized workplace, in this case, in your case, the post office, those people who are working over there are making more money than you are. You poor sucker, you're just working at a gas station for six bucks an hour and they're making 12 bucks an hour with their union jobs. I mean, this was back in the 60s. I was hearing this kind of BS, this kind of crap coming out of Republicans. Uh, it's basically trying to divide people from each other. Oh, they've got too many supervisors, you know. Come on. The Postal Service is, a, is an essential service for America. It's in the friggin' Constitution. The Republicans want to privatize it because they are having money poured into their pockets by banksters who want to see money leveraging this thing and by delivery companies like UPS and FedEx who want to take it over. And it's a crime. It's just a crime. And to come on a program and say, well, you know, it's, it's uh, too many supervisors. They're spending too much money on their people. Give me a friggin' break. 
Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, taking your calls. And Congressman Pocan, of course, is the co-chair, along with Pramila Jayapal, of the Congressional Progressive Caucus in Washington, D.C. He also represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Pocan.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at RepMarkPocan. Congressman, welcome back. Before we pick up calls, anything you want to share with us? Your thoughts on what's going on? What you think is important and people need to be noticing right now? Sure. Well, I'm right now driving to O'Hare, so I'm sorry I don't sound probably as good as usual. So I'll put my apologies up front on how this may sound. But I'm concerned about where the White House is going and some governors are going on trying to reopen too fast. We had Vice President Pence in Wisconsin, and he was trying to do a photo op showing how prepared we are. And in reality, we've gotten almost nothing from FEMA that our governors requested in, in a month. 
and we're way behind like almost every state is. In fact, I think every state is on where we should be on testing so we could actually reopen. And I'm just worried that the president's really setting up this country for not just a failure, but a loss of a lot of lives and even worse economic conditions. There's widespread speculation, especially in Georgia and Florida, that those governors specifically not only are opening businesses in Georgia, you know, hairdressers and things, they're avoiding the big Republican donor companies, the large retailers and hotels and things, and just kind of dumping this on poor people and small businesses because they don't want them to be able to file for unemployment because the states are being crushed by the surge of people who are looking for state relief programs. And so if you can't say that you are involuntarily separated from your job by a state order, you no longer qualify. Anything to that? Your thoughts on that? You know, I mean, that could be a theory. I just think they're a bunch of yahoos, personally. I think that they're... Occam's <laughs> razor. Yeah, they're, the, they're appealing to the stupidest element, and by that I mean the president, and trying to gain his favor. And in doing so, they're putting their entire populace, Democrat, Independent, and Republican, at risk. And I understand people's angst over this, right? I mean, I have a small business, and you've had a small, several small businesses, Tom, as you know. Right now, we're operating at probably a tenth of capacity, and I understand a lot of people are hurting. But what Donald Trump is doing is not going to help my business. And in fact, that it'll hurt my business because by trying to force us to open too early without having testing capacity in order to be able to isolate people who have the disease and then practice the social distancing measures we need to, a lot more people will get sick, a lot more people will die, and the, the, the pain of this economic conditions right now will be prolonged. And Donald Trump, I, I don't understand what he's trying to do other than I think he's really just trying to find a way to blame governors so he doesn't look bad, even though we know he has been uh, officially now, without question, the most incompetent president this country has ever had. Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's pick up some phone calls here. Brett in uh, Goose Creek, South Carolina, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Moving forward, we're obviously going to have high unemployment rate. Over the last 40 years, we've been operating off Reaganomics, mostly because Jimmy Carter had an economic problem and during his term. But it seems like Trump's basically going to go down as the Republican Jimmy Carter for the next 40 years. And it's going to basically be a progressive block that y'all could pass a lot of legislation in for the next 40 years. Do you believe in something like that? Well, I think a lot um, will be determined by what happens in November, because, you know, with the Republican Senate and Republican president, while the public agrees with the proposals we're putting forth as progressives, we still can't enact them unless we have a different Senate and a different president. Now, should that happen in November, you may very likely be right, because we're seeing the conservative principles right now have been completely the wrong direction for how to deal with a pandemic. I think people appreciate health insurance more than ever and why we're the only industrialized country that doesn't have universal health care for their citizens is crazy. And you're right, there are many things that could argue for what you're saying. But unfortunately, we first have to get through November to prove that we can do that. And I think right now the best we can do is really fight very hard for our principles, make sure the public knows we're fighting for them. And I just hope with everything in me that what Donald Trump's doing doesn't make things far worse and kill far more people. Don in Harrington, Delaware, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, I'm a letter carrier. My union president tells us that, uh, yes, it's true. 
the Postal Service will go out of business if we don't get the money in the stimulus package. What is the House and the Senate going to do? And will you guys hold your ground against the administration and fight for us? Because we're done by September. Thank you. And Congressman, if I could just toss in here, Steve Mnuchin, back two or three years ago, had been put in charge by Donald Trump of the task force to privatize, to break up and privatize the post office. And the Steve Mnuchin is the guy who has been blocking any congressional efforts to rescue the post office. Let me add that to his question. I can tell you that the Democrats are unified in making sure that we get the funding for the post office. And I think the good news that I would see is most businesses need the post office and they're going to put pressure on this administration to make sure that the funding is there to make sure that it's able to continue. In my rural communities in my district, when I go to Plain, Wisconsin, for example, the two things I'm told by every business owner, if they don't have, they can't be in business in that small rural community, are post office and broadband. And the thing that's laid out in the Constitution is not broadband, but it is the post office. So we have to do what we need to do to keep it open. Democrats are very committed. In fact, Democrats are the ones who are saying we should have a vote-by-mail program for November. We actually want to see access to the post office expanded in what they're doing. And I think it is a very high priority for us to get it done. And the good news is I think it's a high priority for many businesses, and they're going to be putting a lot of pressure on the president to make sure it's done right as well. In Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, it explicitly authorizes Congress to appropriate money to pay for postal roads and the post office. More people get their mail now via email than via the post office. Shouldn't we expand? Shouldn't we take that and say, okay, this has to do with communication, not just this institution of the post office? Yes, of course, we want to fund the post office. And Everybody in America should have broadband, and like it is in Chattanooga, it should be provided by state, municipal, or federal government programs, sort of like the REA. Your thoughts? Without a question, Tom. I mean, I consider broadband these days no different than electricity or water, that every single person has to have access or else you're not able to function in this current society. And I've actually formed a rural broadband caucus, a bipartisan one. There we go. Adam in New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good afternoon. As a foundational litmus test, many progressives view it as critical to reject corrupting money from PACs and super PACs. Does Biden, as you understand it, realize that the only way to get progressives excited is with a progressive VP and it's not Warren? I mean, we want to win. Yeah, Ben, I can't speak for uh, the Biden campaign, so I, I can't tell you there. I can tell you what many of us have said is, one, we think that uh, we need a progressive as a vice president. Two, we think we need a woman as a vice president. For one, Elizabeth Warren, I think, does have immense qualifications. But honestly, so does Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin. Plus, that helps you in a must-win state. So does other people that are out there that could qualify to be a strong VP. But I completely agree with you, and I think many of us in the progressive movement have been pushing very hard on this, and we're hoping that the Biden campaign is listening and that we'll have a strong progressive woman as our VP choice. Len in Silva, North Carolina, watching Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. What is going on down in the concentration camps down at the border as far as COVID goes? I haven't heard anything at all about that. Well, I can tell you there are many members who raise this issue on a regular basis. And I know right now we're trying to schedule a call with a progressive caucus 
the Hispanic Caucus, the Asian American Caucus about this because we are really trying to make sure that people who are in those, I would argue, horrific conditions aren't additionally exposed to diseases. We know we already have that going on. We know that ICE has still been doing many of their activities, and honestly, that's inhumane. So there are members absolutely talking about it every single, I'd say every day. I'm on a call where it's brought up. Um, but we are trying to do something unified among across caucuses to be working on it more aggressively. Do you think there's any chance that Congress is going to work something out where you guys can work from home? Yeah, well, that's the goal, and I am in a higher risk group. What the real need is we have to be a co-equal branch of government. We have to be functioning again. We need to, to have oversight hearings. We need to have committees operating, and we need to be able to vote in a way that's safe and don't forget, the uh, median age in Congress, it used to be 58 and a half, but for some reason I think it went up about a year. So there are many people who are in that at-risk category that you're not going to see us function in the same way that we used to because we don't want to put other people at risk as well. So we need to have something in place. The problem is, when do we become a branch of government that functions at the level that we're actually holding the executive branch more accountable? And unfortunately, it appears that somehow talks broke down and if I didn't tell you, Tom, I'm extremely frustrated. Uh, I am extremely frustrated of the inactivity. Yeah, I'm with you. Ivan in Bartlett, Illinois, you got a minute and a half to the break, Ivan. A quick question for Congressman Pocan. Hey, this pandemic has shown how vulnerable our prescription drug production is to China and India. What is Congress doing now to uh, bring production of medications back to America? And what do you think the chances are it will ever happen? And I'd like to point out the post office is very important in delivering medication. Thank you. Yep, Ivan, your question is, uh, I think, exactly on, because a lot of us have been pushing this. There's a book called China Rx that does a good job laying out the problem. Some cases, 80 to 90 percent of active ingredients for drugs, if not the drugs themselves, are made in China. So we really are way too reliant on China. When I asked this question of Secretary Azar a few months ago uh, in appropriations in my subcommittee, his answer was actually, well, you know, uh, if we move production here, that could add even like a penny a pill, and that starts to really add up. Well, the hepatitis C drug is $1,000 a pill. I am hardly worried about the penny a pill to have a good supply coming into the country because it's made in the country. So you bring up a good point, and I think it is possible to get more of this done correctly. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You're listening to Tom Hartman. So Donald Trump has just deployed Patriot missiles to Iraq and pointed them at Iran has gone out of his way to threaten Iran, saying that they will pay a very heavy price. We crippled their country with sanctions, and now we're threatening a war so that Trump can get reelected. There's a video about it over at TomHartman.com. Vincent in Amherst, Massachusetts. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Thank you. Congressman Pocan, what are you and other members of the Progressive Caucus going to do to make sure that not only the post office is funded, but also that municipal, county, and, and state government gets the money it needs to make up for the losses that are happening? It just seems as though the things that involve unionized workers are getting punted so that things that the president wants can get funded. I'm very concerned that this next package may not happen in time to help out some of the... So you're talking about unionized state and, state, and lo- state and local employees, Vincent? Yeah, and the post... Yeah, I, okay, Congressman? Yeah, the next package is the one that we've all been working towards. This became up as kind of an immediate fix because, quite honestly, they, just, they misassessed the amount of need on the PPP loans and everyone agrees that we've got to make it so that small businesses can hire their employees so they're able to work. And that's what the PPP loans are for, for eight weeks of full employment for those people. So this package should not deter you. I think some groups have been very wrong in saying that somehow this package should have did X, Y, and Z. This was never intended to do X, Y, and Z. The next package is the one that's supposed to, and we have been fighting for, OSHA protections for frontline workers and fighting for support through unemployment insurance and fighting to make sure that everyone gets support, not just the people that currently did, because a lot of people were left behind. And I do envision those things happening along with the Postal Service and others in a next package. And I'm guessing there will be several packages. I don't think this is getting done very quickly. I think this is something we're all going to be living through, unfortunately, for longer. And we're adjusting as we learn how our knowledge of the disease evolves. But the good news is the Progressive Caucus already has put together all of our priorities. We've sent a letter. Every single person on the exec committee signed it. We've got Progressive Partners backing those ideas. And now we just need to have the public really put pressure on members of Congress to enact those ideas And I think we will get the package that we're looking for. But don't forget, we're negotiating with Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And that does cause us to not be able to maybe get things done as easily or as fully as they should be. Ed in Belfair, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, Thank you for taking my call, Tom. Representative Pocan, my question has to do with the packing houses, the pork, beef, chicken industry. Who's keeping oversight on the employees, the men and women that work in those, or is it the USDA, OSHA? If you could answer that, and I'm sure Trump classifies them as seasonal workers. I'm sure a lot of them are green card holders, and he's taking advantage of them. They, CFOs, comptrollers, they're all making all the money. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the caller's correct in that you know, what's going on is pretty tragic uh, right now in many of those meatpacking facilities. The COVID-19 can uh, be spread very quickly and very easily because of the closeness and the proximity. USDA and OSHA would have different types of oversight. Uh, one of the concerns that we have for that next package is we need far stronger OSHA provisions for all frontline and all workers because we have some real concerns with in the area of COVID, uh, what protections are actually in place. And in those conditions in a meatpacking facility, uh, that's especially true. I was on a call this week with Secretary Perdue uh, from the USDA, and this did come up, and this concern has been raised, and there are a number of members of Congress, myself included, that are trying to work towards many of these efforts. But uh, you raise a, a very, very valid point, and what we were told in the one facility in South Dakota where the governor put her head in the ground, essentially, in the sand to ignore everything going on, 
that probably all those hogs are going to have to be euthanized, and we may have some meat issues in the future. So much has to be done to address that, and I do think USDA at least is somewhat stepping up. I'm not sure about OSHA. Patrick in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Yes, Congressman Pokin. In a state where I have had my vote caged every year since I turned Democratic during Kerry, I'm concerned that the real purpose of this opening is so they can reopen the courts, evict people, and affect voter registration for this election. Is Congress doing anything to protect people from that happening with a moratorium on evictions? Well, first of all, there are some uh, moratoriums already, and we are trying to push for more. I know Ilhan Omar has been especially articulate on trying to lead that forward. I'm not sure that's the reason they're trying to open it, though. I think, you know, there really is this sort of odd, perverted thought that uh, somehow to make Trump look good, we have to look like he's done his job, and then we can go around and blaming individual governors. And uh, there are some people in the business community who want to start being able to make money. But I don't think they realize if you open too quick, you're not going to have consumer confidence, not to buy things, not to go to restaurants, not to go out shopping. And then you're going to be opening with no business and then potentially prolonging that pain because we don't have proper testing and isolation and tracing in place in order to really track people who are sick so that we can be able to reopen. So I really am a bit at a loss. I understand the anxiety that some people have and why they want to reopen. But, you know, also you have to remember a lot of the people funding this current movement, so to speak, to reopen are uh, the Koch brothers and those types. And there was an article, and I'm forgetting the publication, Tom, but just this week that did a great job connecting some of those dots. I think they're trying to reform the Tea Party in time for the election. Oh, yeah. And in Michigan, it's being funded by the DeVos family. It's insane. Harold in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Yeah, uh, thank you, Mr. Pokin. I just heard this morning on the local news here in Milwaukee, I'm a Wisconsinite here, that there were 19 people so far they suspected that got infected due to the vote we had two weeks ago. Governor Evers wanted to postpone that election till June, but obviously the Republicans wouldn't have that, wouldn't allow that. So we all voted and we all saw those pictures on TV, all these people, thousands and thousands of people outside with a two-yard space in between them, and they all had to stand there and vote, but they did vote. But I heard that so far they... I, think identified 19 people that got infected by standing in the line there. Have you heard anything about that? Yes, and it's been reported, and I think the numbers will probably grow even a little more. We knew that that was a very likely outcome of forcing an election. Uh, Tom, this is interesting. The same Republican legislature that forced that election to be open are now going to that same Supreme Court that reopened the election to try to get them to reopen our state. Our governor otherwise has extended his safer-at-home order till mid to late May, and they're trying to force it to reopen. And here's the irony. Yesterday, the state Republican Party in Wisconsin postponed their convention for two months. So they can make everyone in Wisconsin have to put on all this gear to go vote in an election, but they can't even show up at their own convention because they don't even believe the BS they put out there. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're suing the governor for the... It's, it's, it's just crazy. David in Shelton, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman Tom, it's an honor. You know, I hear these oil prices they're talking have gone down to zero, 
and the producers are having to pay oil companies to take the oil. Well, the other day, Trump said he was going to uh, talk to the oil companies to help them out with a stimulus and also increase these strategic oil reserves. Well, why couldn't these oil companies give the money to the oil reserves and not have to pay companies to take the oil and it would help out the country and they'd have a place to put their oil. Congressman. I know a number of the efforts that the president's putting out there around oil have been, in my opinion, crazy. Part of it is to affect the stock market. Part of it is to affect his donors and his friends in the oil industry. The reality is people are traveling way less and there's the fight between Russia and Saudi Arabia that was going on, and here the president's trying to help get them more money rather than worrying about people and consumer impact and everything else. So again, it just shows the priorities of this president. Rather than getting us test kits and reagents to run the test kits and personal protection equipment for frontline workers in every state across the country, he's standing up for big oil at a time that we really need him to be getting the supplies so that we can actually reopen. It's just part of, again, more of the irony of Donald Trump. Congressman, in the 30 seconds we have left, what should we be uh, focusing our activism on right now, and what do you expect to be happening when you get back to D.C.? You know, I think it really is about the Cures 2 package. All the things that we talked about today that still need to happen do need to happen, and and the Progressive Caucus has put our priorities. We now have a bunch of Progressive Partner groups backing those priorities. Uh, We would appreciate people reaching out to their member of Congress and getting people, family, and worker-centric policies in the next bill. That has to be a priority. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with that, and please travel safely. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it as always, and I look forward to talking to everyone next week. Congressman Pocamp, thanks again, and, and be safe. Hashtags. I was sharing their hashtags with you. Imbleach Trump. I am B L E A C H Trump. That's a great hashtag. Melissa Shows has tweeted these at me. Tide Pod President and COVID idiots. Right. You know, you wonder, you know, is Dr. Burks, she's sitting there and, and is she hanging in because she thinks that maybe she can do a little good in this sea of insanity that surrounds her and Trump? Or is she hanging in there because she's one of these fundamentalist born-again Christians who thinks that Trump is King Cyrus? There's this whole meme on the right. It's about King Cyrus among the hardcore right-wing Christians. Cyrus was a king of Persia, of, of Iran, back, you know, thousands of years ago. And he sheltered the Jews when they were fleeing somebody, going to someplace. He treated them nicely, even though he himself was basically a Philistine. I did Not literally a Philistine. He was a... A libertine. He, you know, he, he was a murderer and a rapist and a robber and all kinds of terrible things. But he helped out God's chosen people. And so the fundamentalist Christians now who consider themselves God's chosen people, they're saying, yeah, Donald Trump, he's our King Cyrus. He's going to help us. He's going to protect us. He's going to keep our tax exemptions intact, even if we engage in political activity. That's, you know, the big thing for Jerry Falwell Jr. and, and Franklin Graham and all these guys. But it is just nuts. Do you think that Dr. Burks, why do you think she's staying there? Is she one of these fundamentalist Christians who thinks, okay, you know, he's our guy, he's going to save us, even if he's a little stupid? 
Is she thinking that she can do some good? Is she a complete sellout? Is she getting spiffed in a big way by FreedomWorks or one of the right-wing groups? I, I don't know. My personal guess is that she and Anthony Fauci both think that at least they are small voices of sanity to inject into the insanity. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that, frankly. I'd rather have them there than have them not there at all. Although occasionally, particularly Dr. Burks, wanders into basically empowering Trump in this crazy insanity. Tom in Media, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? I think it would be crazy to bankrupt the state. I think that that chaos would be probably not reversible at all. I mean, what people going to buy the assets from states and all that. But I do think that there's a, a good carrot and stick approach in my work that the federal government would give zero income loans that through no schedule or deadlines for repayment by the states. But they would establish some you know conditions for this money and stipulations you know, like full funding, make sure they fully fund their existing employee pensions and medical benefits to their state employees. Uh, you know, no increases in sales or income taxes unless the people, you know, vote for it in a referendum. Uh, 10% cut in discretionary spending. And maybe no privileges or rights or services or cash payments to people that are not legally in this country. I think that that would uh, give an incentive for a lot of these states to to, to do to pay back the money, and a lot of these states are already complying. It wouldn't surprise me, Tom, if something like what you just described gets worked out. And, and the reason I say like what you described was because there were a, th- a few gems in there for the Democrats, fully fund your pension for programs, for example, and a few gems for the Republicans, you know, don't give any money to people who are here illegally. You know, as long as Mitch McConnell is, is the uh, leader of the United States Senate, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a real challenge. Tom, thanks for the call. We'll see. <laughs> Peter in Lawton, Oklahoma. Hey, Peter, what's up? Oh, that's a good show today. Uh, I, when you start talking about Reagan, it, remember, he busted the Air Traffic Controllers Union. Capital. Yeah, well, he, they went after the railroads then, too. I was working in a railroad up there in Iowa. They tried to take our railroad retirement and throw it, throw it in with the uh, Social Security. That's when we went out on strike. The U.S. Postal Service is the largest union in the United States, as, as last I heard. And I still yep. think one of the reasons is not only they want to privatize it, they want to bust that union. Thank you. What's, 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 now, I understand your, your governor there in Oklahoma is going to open the state to, tomorrow. Do I have that yeah, right on Friday? Yeah. 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 That's insane. He's insane, That's insane. <laughs> well, Peter, call me back next week and tell me how it's going, okay? Stay safe. Reach out to people that you love, people that you know, your friends, your family. Reach out and, and be nice to somebody, right? Try to comfort somebody. There, there's a lot of, a lot of pain uh, and a lot of anxiety traveling around right now. And it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. We all need to hang on to each other, to hold each other. Well, it, it literally or metaphorically. Tag your it. Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.